Transmitted. We'll hear argument next in number 0242, Franchise Tax Board of California versus Gilbert Hyatt. Mr. Leatherwood. Mr. Chief Justice, may I please the court. Respondent has prompted the Nevada courts to extend their authority over California's tax process. The Nevada court has said at Joint Appendix 138, the entire process of FPB's audits of Hyatt, including the FPB's assessment of taxes, and the protest is at issue in this case, end quote. This has been said to me at at Joint Appendix 138 that the tax process is under attack. This lawsuit interferes with California's capacity to to administer its taxes. The administration of taxes is a core sovereign responsibility from which all functions of state government depend on. Is protected by immunity laws from common law tort lawsuits like the kind presented by respondent. California has invoked protection of its immunity laws, but the Nevada courts have allowed respondents' laws to proceed, not by extending full faith and credit. And this refusal threatens our constitutional system of cooperative federalism in violation of Article 4, Section 1 of the United States Constitution. Mr. Ludwood, may I ask you a threshold question? Some of your friends in this case have invited an overruling of Nevada against Paul. Of course, California uh, was favored by that decision. Do you join in the plea to overrule Nevada v. Hall, or do you say this case is different because it involves core sovereign functions? Justice Ginsburg, we do not join in the course to overrule Nevada v. Hall. This case is different. This case goes to footnote 24 of Nevada v. Hall. It's our feeling that Nevada v. Hall is good law in the sense that it does, it does not implicate uh, another state managing another state's core sovereign function. It's, it's Nevada v. Hall was strictly an automobile accident. The comparison would be between uh, the university education, which was the uh, which was the defendant, and the tax authorities. Both of those, education and tax, seem core. Or if you're going to compare the tort itself, it would be a comparison between negligent driving on the one hand and going into another state and committing, intelli- uh, you know, peering through windows, going through garbage, uh, uh, totally wrongly uh, getting all the neighbors uh, to reveal private information, etc. So. 
comparing the particular acts, what's the difference? Or comparing the sovereign functions, what's the difference? I mean, compared, uh, thank you, Your Honor. In comparing the sovereign functions. Education versus tax. In driving an automobile in another state's, uh, on another state's highway. That's not the sovereign function. That's not the sovereign function. It seemed like apples and oranges to me. That is, in the one case, we're looking at the acts they're complaining of, and here the plaintiff is complaining of acts that took place in Nevada that were miles outside what would be reasonable. I'm not saying he's right, but that's his complaint. In the Nevada v. Hall, they were complaining about negligent driving. So what's the difference there? Or alternatively, in Nevada v. Hall, it was a driver who worked for a university. And here, it is an investigator who works for the tax board. So what's the difference there? Well, to answer the Court's question directly, the most significant difference is that the tax function is, is much more significant than the education function. Well, that, that's, that, that, that would be a very difficult premise for us to say, that education is somehow secondary. Well, well, you're, you're saying Nevada can't have a great university? Uh, uh, can have a great university by keeping its people within its own borders. They can't go to California to get information to solicit to recruit students. I mean, that, that, that would be a very difficult decision for us to write on that premise. No, Your Honor. I would agree with you that that would be a difficult For the state of California to argue that education is not a core state function is to me rather astounding. No, Your Honor. I'm not arguing that education is not a, co- a core sovereign function. What I'm arguing is that uh, taxation is an essential core sovereign function in the sense that education cannot move forward. Well, Mr. Leatherwood, we, this court tried to follow a core state function test under the Tenth Amendment. And in Garcia, uh, kind of gave it up, didn't it, uh, as being an unworkable thing. Now, why would we want to resurrect that here? And why is it that you don't say, well, if the court wants to overrule Nevada B. Hall, that's fine. I'll win. I mean, I don't understand your position. You're asking us to go back to a test that we rejected under the Tenth Amendment and Garcia, but you don't want to say, sure, if you want to overrule Nevada B. Hall, be my guest. Yes, Your Honor. Uh, Justice O'Connor, what we're we're attempting to say here is that uh, this case is more analogous to uh, this court's jurisprudence in the area of the uh, Federal Tax Injunction Act uh, is along the line of uh, fair assessment, the fair assessment cases where the court has directed that the federal government will back off on trying to manage uh, uh, state taxes. But the, the, there you have a specific act of Congress that tells the federal government to back off, and I don't believe you have any such thing here. But we do have the full faith and credit clause, which, which directs that a, a state is to recognize the, the, the public acts of another state. And we do have an immunity, immunity law applicable here. And this directs that Nevada should respect the, the immunity laws of the state of California. And the immunity law in this particular instance provides absolute immunity uh, for conduct that is undertaken in uh, uh, in uh, a tax audit, anything that's associated with a tax audit, uh, is protected. But N- N- Nevada did 
recognized California law to the extent it was similar to Nevada's. That is, saying you had immunity from negligent acts. And then it went on to say, no, you don't have immunity from intentional acts, even though uh, California law does give immunity from intentional acts. But surely you wouldn't go to the extreme that you would say someone could uh, come over to Las Vegas from California and just beat up somebody because they hadn't paid their taxes. Absolutely, I agree with the Court on that point, that the the extension of our — Why do you agree on that point? I don't understand that. Because the extension of our immunity law does not cover uh, physical torts or torts outside the scope, of course, and scope of uh, of the acts that are incidental to — I see. So under California law, there would be — that would be uh, actionable, whereas under Nevada law here — what, what they're doing is actionable. You just want to use the California standard rather than the, rather than the Nevada standard. Well, well, in fact, Your Honor, if they would use the Nevada standard, use the same standard that Nevada applies to its own taxing agencies, then this case would be on a hold. What, what Nevada has done in this particular case is that it has gone outside its own precedent and applied a different standard to California taxing agencies. But that's not well, what the, the Nevada court said. We're going to treat the tax collectors from anywhere who come in to our state and act here. We're going to ta- the Nevada Supreme Court said we're going to apply our rule, and our rule is negligence, there's immunity. Intentional, there isn't. So you're asking us to discredit or disbelieve the Nevada Supreme Court when it said the law we apply the tax collectors who act in this state is the same as we apply to Nevada tax collectors. Uh, Your Honor, I am not asking this Court this, this, to, uh, to not believe the Nevada Supreme Court, but what I'm saying is that Nevada has published precedent as recent as 1989 where it requires that a taxpayer forego bringing a lawsuit until there, until there has been, until there's a resolution of all statutory procedures. In this oh, but this, but Nevada Supreme Court, I thought, made very clear that what they were dealing with is tortious conduct, harassing conduct. They, in fact, refused, Nevada Supreme Court refused to decide where this man was domiciled. Because that would interfere with the ongoing procedure in California on the tax liability. I thought that the Nevada Supreme Court had made it clear that they were dealing with the way their resident is being harassed and not with where he was domiciled on a magic date. And, Your Honor, what has happened in this particular case, 97 percent of the conduct that occurred during the course of this audit occurred in California. And quite naturally, what Nevada is, what Nevada is doing is permitting Mr. Hyatt to go be, behind the, the actual tort and make a collateral attack on the tax itself. Well, that may be, but that isn't the issue that we've got uh, in front of us here. I mean, the question in front of us is not how far can the, the Nevada courts go in, in reviewing California's tax practice. The issue before us uh, is, among others, in a claim of tort against your uh, your operative in Nevada for the manner in which the tax is collected, is there absolute immunity? And, uh, you know, may, maybe the Nevada courts are going too far in discovery, but that's not the issue in front of us. Uh, I, I would absolutely agree with the court that the issue is whether or not uh, Nevada was obligated to apply our um, our immunity laws with respect right. to con- with respect to conduct un- undertaken 
uh, incidental to this audit. May, may I go back to Justice Stevens's question, because I'm not sure of your answer to it. Uh, what if the state of California passed a statute tomorrow morning saying the use of thumbscrews in tax collection is, is authorized? Is, would your answer to Justice Stevens's question be, uh, that, or wouldn't your answer to Justice Stevens's question be, that uh, if you went into Nevada and you used thumbscrews, you would be entitled, on your theory, to absolute immunity. Isn't, isn't that correct? Uh, uh, Your Honor, no. What I'm saying is that under, under, under that particular theory, I do not think that you could pass law in the state of California that will essentially sanction a crime. And there was no crimes com- committed during the course of this audit. If, a, if an auditor commits an intentional tort, such as a burglary or a trespass in Nevada or in California, it's, it's our position that that particular conduct is not incidental to the okay, we're trying to get the We're trying to get the analysis of it, and I'm having exactly the same problem. Imagine that there, California did say there is absolute immunity, even if you beat somebody up, absolute tort immunity. Okay? Even for beating people up. I suppose they did have that. You could prosecute it as a crime. Now you're in Nevada, and they say, the plaintiff, he beat me up. He came across the state line down from Lake Tahoe. He was in a bad mood, lost too much money at the casino, and he beat me up. All right, now. Can Nevada bring that lawsuit or not? That's, I think, what Justice Stevens' question was. Well, well, I understand that, Your Honor. My position is that even though that law does not exist in California, yeah, right. that but applying if it did, if it, applying my our particular theory yeah. that yes, we then Nevada would be obligated under full faith and credit clause to apply that particular law. But and you therefore, have, you could not bring the lawsuit in Nevada about somebody beating somebody up if. If, if, if that were the if, one if that would, if that was the case, but yeah. in this particular case, that's illegal in California and that's illegal in Nevada. So how then do we reconcile that position, where we're back to our starting place, with the fact that he could bring an action if on his way down from Lake Tahoe in the state car, he happened to drive a little negligently and ran somebody over? I mean, that's Nevada v. Hall, just reverse the states. No, no, and we're in agreement with Nevada v. Hall. I know. So this is why we're having a problem. It's clear that if our tax collector on his way down from Lake Tahoe runs over a Nevada resident, the Nevada resident can sue and apply Nevada law. You say if, in fact, that same tax collector beats up somebody and the California law is that you cannot sue, Nevada cannot apply its own law. That's not what I'm saying, Your Honor. I'm saying if that conduct, if that conduct is connected to the actual audit itself, then it's protected. But what I'm saying, I cannot possibly see under any possible theory that a beating, that a, a, a breaking into someone's house could actually be part of the assessment, tax assessment process. If an auditor engages in that kind of behavior, the auditor is not covered under the absolute immunity. That is outside the scope okay. of that. And of is, that the, is the reason that the, the answer is different in the two cases, the, the reason that there is something special about tax collection, or is the reason that there is a closer connection in the hypo 
uh, of the beating up for tax collection than the driving the automobile for tax collection? Well, Which well, is it? Is it the nature of the tax collection or the nature of the activity which leads to the tort liability? Well, well I think it's both, Your Honor. Well, first of all, tax, tax collection by definition is an intrusion in someone's life. The allegations alleged here are principally invasion of privacy, disclosure of information, that sort of thing. Ninety-seven percent of that conduct occurred in California. Uh, you cannot possibly investigate or prosecute Mr. Hyatt's case without intruding into that tax. Mr. Leatherworth, if I understand your position, it would be exactly the same if 100 percent of the conduct had occurred in Nevada. Uh, uh, absolutely, Your Honor. Uh, that, but the, the problem but, I have, may I just ask this question? Assume there is a, there's a difference between Nevada law and California law, as I understand it. Some things are actionable against the tax people in one state and not the other. Why is it, in your view, that, that if the same conduct occurred six months later but by Nevada tax collectors instead of by California tax collectors, because he's been in both states and probably subject to tax in both, Nevada would allow the suit against its own tax people but not allow it against the California tax people? Why, why does that make sense? Well, well yeah, and in this particular case, as I've indicated, uh, According to our reading of, of Nevada precedent, published precedent, that they would not permit this lawsuit to proceed until the tax process has been concluded. Uh, with respect to, to, to directly answer your question, it does not appear that Nevada would prosecute its own, would permit a prosecution of its own agents in a case where the, the allegations are principally that there is an intrusion into Mr. Hyde's life. Or that they're but or they understood the reasoning of the Nevada Supreme Court to say they would. I, I must have misread the opinion. Is that, that no, no, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I don't think you misread the opinion. What I think what the Nevada Supreme Court said is that uh, they will permit uh, intentional tort prosecution of government employees. Uh, this case does not involve a government employee. This case involves a government agency itself, a tax agency. And under Nevada law, you cannot proceed against. Uh, uh, the Nevada tax agency without first exhausting your administrative and statutory remedies uh, to contest the underlying tax itself. But certainly this sort of thing isn't the kind of thing you could have exhausted your remedies on, is it? Uh, absolutely, Your Honor. Uh, in our, in our, in our, it is our position that this entire, the entire lawsuit is linked up to our tax process because the conduct that he, that Respondent is complaining about here is that the tax itself is the tax itself and the tax process is engaged in bad faith. In well, other what, words, what is, was your answer to the question? Suppose that this tax collector were driving negligently in Nevada. Was pardon, very, suppose the tax collector were driving negligently in Las Vegas. It was very important for the tax collector to go examine the records. And he, he, driving negligently, what result? I think in Nevada the Hall, he he would be subject to negligent li liability. Not connected to a core right. sovereign so, so, function oh. because the function here is the function here is uh, is a tax investigation, whereas driving is, is something that you can investigate independent of the tax process itself. So suppose that we we conclude that footnote 24 does not provide sufficient guidance uh, for us to have a stable jurisprudence, and that uh, you will lose unless Nevada versus Hall is overruled. Would you then ask us to overrule Nevada versus Hall? Uh, Your Honor, it's I know a, you don't want to entertain that possibility, but suppose that's what we conclude. Well, uh, 
We, we've thought about this, Your Honor, of course, and we would accept the win if that's the court's direction through overruling Nevada Hall, but it's our contention that the court does not have to go that far to get to, get to this point. Uh, the court can literally analogize to the, prote- the special protections that are provided to state tax systems uh, within the federal system itself. But that, as I suggested earlier, is a difficult thing to do because there are congressional statutes that mandate that here. And all we have is the full faith and credit clause. Now, perhaps you say that's sufficient, but isn't it possible that there might be uh, other emanations of the full faith and credit clause other than just footnote 24 or whatever it is in, in Nevada against Hall? I'm not talking about overruling it, but developing it, perhaps. Yes, Your Honor, I would agree with that. Of course, we think that uh, Nevada's failure to uh, recognize or uh, give dignity to California's immunity statute is not only a violation of the full faith and credit clause, but it's a hostile act, and this kind of ho- hostility is contrary to our whole concept of, of what, what about a congressional statute? That is, suppose the opinion read, what would your objection — I know you'll object to this possible opinion, and I want to hear what your objection is. Um, the opinion says uh, they're complaining here, as far as we're concerned, with a serious tort invasion of privacy, uh, you know, a whole lot of really bad behavior, et cetera. They're complaining about that taking place by a California official in Nevada, and we can't really distinguish that from the automobile accident taking place in Nevada. Uh, They're both torts. They're both very bad. uh, You know, this is worse conduct. Now, it's true that our investigation of this may interfere with California's tax uh, authorities ability to sort of run investigations in general but if that turns out to be a problem a big problem congress can legislate well that still creates that still creates the situation where nevada is supervising and managing california's tax Actual activities happening in nevada in, in this lawsuit this lawsuit is is being prosecuted is being investigated almost exclusively in california the the intrusion here, the interference here, is that Nevada has permitted Mr. Hyatt to use this lawsuit both as a as a wall and a battering ram. It has almost suppressed the, the entire the, the California tax investigation. It's creating an entire class of possible plaintiffs that can sue California just for literally going across the state line to make an inquiry uh, as to whether or not a a uh, former California resident, a former California taxpayer, actually owes any taxes. Well, they would have to show it's an intentional, uh, whatever that means under Nevada law, not just negligent, wouldn't they? Well, the intentional act here is that California created a tax system in bad faith to uh, bad faith to extort an exit an exit tax from uh, from a taxpayer. I thought that we again. The Nevada Supreme Court said, we are not going to touch the question of where this man was domiciled. That's for California to decide. What we are dealing with is the snooping. One allegation was trespass and going through the man's trash. And another was calling, maybe the calls emanated in California, calling people in Nevada, insinuating bad things about this person. And that has nothing to do with where the man is domiciled, it's a question that 
California is deciding, and Nevada says it won't touch. Your Honor, I would, uh, I would direct the Court to Joint Appendix uh, 133, where, where the, uh, the Court, where the Nevada courts have indicated that almost all the action in this, in this lawsuit occurred in, in uh, California. And, um, well, you, you recognize that there were two trips into California. Actually, Your Honor. I mean, to Nevada. Actually, Your Honor, I believe there were three trips, and there were short trips of, of uh, there were trips of extremely short duration. Um, and what was there about on one of those trips? There was a trespass on his property and rummaging through his trash. Well, that's not part of, that's not part of the allegations of, uh, of the complaint itself. Uh, the complaint is saying that uh, it was it, the, uh, a more a more general interference with his privacy, but those were examples that were alleged, if not in the complaint, somewhere. No, no there there has been deposition testimony that uh, there, on one of the trips that the investigator looked at the timing of Mr. of the of respondent's trash delivery and also look, determine whether or not respondent was de- receiving any mail at that particular location. That does not justify the, the pervasive nature and the extent in which this lawsuit has reached in, into California and it, it literally attacked, attacked the tax process. And once again, I will refer the court to uh, the joint appendix uh, at page 60 where it is alleged that the California tax system itself is, is, uh, is a fraud, that it was put together in bad faith for the specific purpose of extorting an exit tax from uh, former residents who, who, uh, as they leave California. Well, if the Court has no more questions in this regard, I would like to preserve, reserve your time, Mr. Reserve Lewis. the balance of my time. Thank Very you. well. Mr. Farr, we'll hear from you. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and, and may it please the Court. Um, in our federal system, it's recognized that the states will sometimes have overlapping jurisdiction. When that happens, the Constitution allows each state to apply its own laws against a background principle of comedy where they believe it would be appropriate to defer to the laws of another state. And I submit that the Nevada courts here have applied these principles very carefully. Nevada courts correctly held that they were not required to apply California's legislative-created law of immunity. At the same time, however, they have applied principles of comedy to strike out the declaratory judgment count that would have gone to the very issue that is being contested in the the California tax proceeding, which is the date that Mr. Hyatt moved to Nevada. And they have also given California complete immunity for any negligence that it has committed. So in this case, it seems to me the system is working. Can I ask you, do you think they were compelled by the full faith and credit clause to grant immunity on the negligence claim? Uh, that's an interesting question, Jeff Stevens, because Nevada officials themselves have immunity. Uh, there would be a question, I suppose, of whether the full faith and credit clause requires that. My general feeling is probably not, that that is really not a question so much of whether 
uh, a choice of law between California law and Nevada law, but simply a question of what Nevada law would apply. So I don't think that the full faith and credit clause itself speaks to that issue. But I do think principles of comedy will traditionally reach that result. And, in fact, well, are principles of comedy dictated by the Constitution? Suppose, suppose Nevada said uh, we're not going to grant comedy. That's correct. I, I don't think there is a federally enforceable law of state comedy. But I think that is the system that has existed essentially between sovereigns for, for much longer than, than the United States has, has well, is, is it your position that a private plaintiff can always bring suit against a state in the courts of another state? Well, the first question, of course, is whether the court has legislative jury. The first full faith and credit question is whether the court in which the suit is brought has legislative jurisdiction. So there is a requirement that that state have constitutionally sufficient contacts with the law. Well, under due process, well, that's easy to satisfy. So assuming that they've satisfied that, they are entitled to bring a suit then the question is whether the state, and I, and I believe at that point the state is free to apply its own laws to protect its own interests. I think that's what the full faith and credit clause allows. And it is the doctrine of comedy that provides the uh, acknowledgement of the state, the, the other state's interests. And that's typically, in fact, what's happened since it's Nevada very, It's very law. odd to me that California can't be sued in its own court, it can't be sued in a federal court, but it can be sued in a Nevada court, which, uh, if we follow that, declension really <laughs> has, 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 the, has the least interest in maintaining the dignity of the state of California. Well, there are two, two factors here, Justice Kennedy. First of all, there is the fact that Nevada has some very real interests of its own, its own sovereign interests to protect here. I mean, there have been torts which were both committed in Nevada and directed at a Nevada resident. So to begin with, before one gets to the immunity question, Nevada as a sovereign state has important interests in assuring compensation and also in deterring that kind of conduct. So the idea that a legislatively created immunity by another state should be able to prevent Nevada from protecting those interests seems inconsistent with the federal system. Now, if, if one goes beyond that to the question of inherent immunity, the very idea that a state should have to be subject to suit in the courts of another state, I think, first of all, as you know, we don't believe that issue is properly presented on the question presented in this case. But if, if you'd like me to address it just for a moment, I think there, there are – Differences if one looks to the, to the way that the essentially immunity has been resolved in, in the, the course of, of the, the United States. That first of all, in its own courts, it has the common law immunity based on the idea that it is both the king being sued in its own courts and also typically it is also the, the progenitor of the law, so to speak, the Justice Holmes point. Uh, in the United States, there's a, the courts of the United States, there's a very specific situation. At, at the time of the convention, 
the states were obviously forming a new sovereign. And the question of whether that sovereign was going to grant them the immunity they had in their own courts or whether that sovereign would be in the same position essentially as foreign sovereigns typically were, which is that they did not have to provide sovereignty except as a matter of comedy. That's the schooner exchange opinion. so, So the states at that point had a very real interest in deciding that question. And they did, in fact, decide that question, as the Court has recognized. That is not true with respect to the immunity that they had in the courts of other states. How does Alden fit into this? In Alden, I take it the Court now, we've held that a citizen of Maine suing in the state of Maine's courts, alleging that Maine has violated a federal law, can't do it sovereign immunity. Right, that's all. All right, suppose the citizen of Maine walks into a New Hampshire court and brings the same lawsuit against Maine, assuming New Hampshire has appropriate jurisdiction under its own law. Do we get a different result? See, I think that is not a question that, that is within the notion of, of the question in this case. No, no, well, I'm sorry. See, well, I, nonetheless, although what no. I'm trying to do is, is sort out what in my mind are a set of impossible anomalies, and that's why I ask you that question. I, I'm sorry, I started to answer in the wrong yeah. way. What, what I, 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 I reserve, of course, the point always that I don't believe this is within the question yeah, presented. Yeah, what I actually was going to say, what I meant to say is I don't think it's the same kind of question. Um, in the sense that I think still when you're talking about enforcement of a federal cause of action in another state, that is still really a, a federal state question. So, so That's your still answer, the Alden your question. Your answer to my question is Alden cannot be avoided simply by the main citizen walking into a New Hampshire court and bringing the same case. That's correct. I think that is still a federal state. I think that is still a federal state. Assuming that's right now, look at the tremendous anomaly, which you were just about to address. I want to be sure you do. Our citizen of Maine walks into the New Hampshire court and sues the state of Maine under federal law, and the answer is he can't do it because of sovereign immunity. Our citizen of Maine does the same thing, but this time his cause of action is state law. And now you say he can do it. That's right. And the only difference between the two cases is that his cause of action is federal law in the first case, and he can't sue the state, but state law in the second case, and he can, which, of course, means that the law of New Hampshire binds Maine in a way that federal law cannot. Now, that, to me, I just can't. That, to me, seems so anomalous that that, that I'd like an explanation, if you can give it. And you see how I'm thinking of it as connected here, because the facts here are just part of that general anomaly. That's correct. Actually, Justice Breyer, I think that's something that the Court, to some extent, addressed in Alden itself Mm -hmm. in distinguishing the opinion in Nevada versus Hall, when it noted that when you get into the situation of a state being sued in the courts of another state, and as in Nevada versus Hall, under a state cause of action, you have now implicated the sovereignty of a second sovereign. So when one is now looking at these, the issues of sovereign immunity, one is looking at a different platform of issues and also at a different historical base. But that seems to make your case even harder. It would be difficult to conceive that the framers thought that Virginia could be sued in Pennsylvania. Uh, but not in a federal court. I, I would think uh, 
that the presumption would be that this was even even stronger case for the exercise of sovereign immunity than when all of the citizens of the union are involved, as in the Alden situation. Well, I think the amendment. I mean, I think there are two things going on. I mean, first of all, the question is not whether they can be sued, but if not, why not? For example, Pennsylvania and Virginia, as I'm sure the Court is aware, had a Nathan v. Virginia is a case in which that very situation came up. But in the courts of Pennsylvania, the Pennsylvania Attorney General urged its own courts to recognize sovereign immunity. So that could naturally fit within the idea that Schooner Exchange has made clear, which is that when you're talking about co-equal sovereigns of that nature, one is talking about sovereignty, excuse me, immunity that is extended as a matter of comedy, not as a matter of absolute right of the other sovereign. And the reason is, excuse me, the reason is that if you don't allow the sovereign to execute its own laws within its own territory, you're depriving that sovereign of part of its sovereignty. Well, doesn't our original jurisdiction as states between states bear something on this question? It bears a little bit, but, of course, Article III itself is not an exclusive jurisdiction provision. The Section 1251 provides exclusive jurisdiction with respect to suits between states. But the idea that the framers would provide for original jurisdiction in the Supreme Court for suits by one state against another suggests they thought it might be pretty hard to bring such a suit anywhere else. Well, and certainly as a practical matter, they would have been right, Mr. Chief Justice. I mean, as a practical matter, it has always been difficult to bring a suit against a state, either in its own courts or in the courts of another state. I mean, even since Nevada v. Hall, typically states have granted immunity to other states for when they're sued in their own courts. And if they haven't granted absolute immunity, what they have done, which I think is an important principle, emerging principle of comedy, is they have tended to look at their own immunity to see what kinds of suits could be brought against them and to try then to grant to the outside sovereign that same type of immunity. Mr. Farr, have you found other examples around the country of suits by citizens of one state against another state in the other state's courts? Is this relatively rare, or is it happening, and in what context is it happening? It's relatively rare, but there have been some suits. There are a few of them cited in our red brief. If I can find the page number, pages 38 and 39. There are suits, for example, negligent suits involving release of dangerous persons within another state who have created injury to citizens of that state. There are more commercial-type things involving contracts, or one in particular is a suit for invasion of privacy when someone who wrote a book disclosed information. In general, though, Justice O'Connor, as I say, some of those suits, the courts have just said, we're not going to hear them. Whether you have a valid cause of action or not, we're simply not going to recognize that in our courts because of the sovereignty of the defendant. Other courts have said, yes, we will open our courts, but we are going to look to our own immunity to try to have essentially a baseline 
to measure the sort of immunity that we are going Mr. Barr, to you say that that, too, is just a matter of comedy. I, I do think but that's th- just a matter of — Doesn't the Privileges and Immunities Clause of Article 4 have something to say? To, if you can treat a tax collector from California differently from a tax collector in Nevada, you're not giving the tax collectors equal privileges and immunities in Nevada. If, if one granted lesser immunity, is, is that Yes, if one — you said that the only stopper was a notion of comedy. And I'm suggesting that you might not be able to treat two officials, one from out-of-state, one from in-state, to treat — to favor the in-state official that maybe privileges and immunities have — have something to do with that. If, if a state is entitled as a defendant to invoke privileges and immunities against the courts of another state, I would think that's right. Certainly in the is, case — Is it? I, I mean, I, I thought the, I the answer thought, would be no. that, would, that would go to individual liability, but it would, it would not affect this question, but I may be wrong. Well, no, I, I, that would be my assumption also, Justice Souter. I think that the, the privileges and immunities and equal protection are — are provisions that apply to individuals who are claiming discrimination in, in, in another state. I don't think they would apply directly to a state. But as I say, the, the, the notion that, that comedy um, is, is something that, that doesn't have a, a force, even though it's not federally enforceable, it seems to me is a little bit of a misperception. Because, again, if one goes back to the notion of, of the law of nations or separate sovereigns, comedy essentially has been the provision that governs their relations since well before the Convention. Well, there is, there is some reluctance to say that California officials can run amok in Nevada without Nevada being able to do anything about it. I suppose um, if it were a pervasive practice, Nevada might be able to sue California in the original jurisdiction under some parents' patriae theory. I'm not sure about that. Well, I, I mean, let me suggest a couple of other possibilities, Justice Kennedy, as well. I, I, don't, uh, I, I don't know whether the Court would take original jurisdiction of that question or not. But, I mean, the most direct example of something states could do, obviously, is they could reach agreements between themselves. I mean, there have been two cases before this Court involving suits against states in the courts of other states. One was Nevada and California's courts. This is, is California and Nevada's courts. If those states, who are neighboring states, feel that this is an issue that they need to address, they could reach some sort of agreement and therefore have reciprocal legislation. And for example, under the Full Faith and Credit Clause for years, as the Court may know, there's a doctrine that said that states didn't have to enforce the penal laws of another state, even though full faith and credit on its face would make you feel that maybe they would have to. But in fact, states eventually began through reciprocal agreements uh, in, in decisions, and I think in legislation also, to say, you know, we essentially will enforce the, the, the penal laws or the tax laws of other states so long as they do for, for us. So again, the states. You mean penal, penal laws or, or penal judgments? No, no. Penal, penal judgments, the court said in, in uh, Milwaukee County, have to be enforced. Um, but they, they distinguished at that point, I, Mr. Chief Justice, the idea that a law itself would have to be enforced before it had been reduced to judgment. Right. But what, what, what is the first? I don't, want to, I don't want you to get distracted because I thought Justice Ginsburg and maybe Justice Kennedy now were driving at the same problem, which is that, that uh, imagine Nevada v. Hall is good law. 
All right. Now the question comes up, how do you prevent Nevada from going wild? All right. And so now we have several answers. A, Congress can pass a statute. Correct. B, interstate compacts. That was what you were suggesting. And, and uh, if, right. I may, yeah, if I may intercede, it doesn't necessarily even have to be a compact. I'm not sure right. it's a Some kind of have a to be voluntary approved. action by right. the states. Correct. Uh, C, privileges and immunities, which has the problem that it refers to citizens and not states. Uh, D, uh, uh, equal, uh, equal protection doesn't work, I don't think, because it says, again, citizens. Uh, a due process clause. Uh, is a state a person under the due process clause? Uh, e. What's E? I, I mean, you see, it, if, if Nevada, E is, is of course, uh, footnote 24, but then that gets us into the uh, uh, National League of Cities problem. Uh, and, and so uh, National League of Cities, well, if, that, if, that, that, that approach, uh, equal per, no, uh, privileges and immunities, due process of law, like voluntary action states, Congress, Congress enacts a law, anything else? Have we got, is that the exhaustive list that we must uh, uh, choose from? It's, or, uh, it seems exhaustive. And the only, or that's, if, if, if nothing in that list works, then the only alternative is uh, overrule Nevada v. Hall. Or is is comedy on the list? Well, comedy, I mean, I mean, I, comedy is, is comedy, comedy is not the answer to the problem because, well, it is in a sense. Well, it is in a sense. I mean, Voluntary restraint. See, I, I, I don't, I certainly don't mean to minimize the, the theoretical possibility that suits in courts of one state could ultimately prove to be a problem generally. What I'm suggesting is that there's nothing, first of all, in the history of the full faith and credit clause that would suggest that once a state has proper legislative jurisdiction, as I think everybody concedes that Nevada does here, that somehow that clause was intended to displace the law of that state simply because another state had made different policy choices about, let's say here, compensation and immunity. Can you say that categorically and absolutely? I mean, there are all sorts of permutations the facts that could come up? Well, what the permutations of facts, I think, go particularly to what constitutes legislative jurisdiction. So perhaps in that sense my statement is, is broader or seems broader in the context of this case than I mean it to be. But I do, but I do think in general that I don't see any warrant in the full faith and credit clause, given the fact that it was enacted with very little debate, and almost all of the debate was about judgments and not about enforcement of other states' laws, I think it would be stretching the clause beyond recognition to say that at some point it was, it was telling states, you're going to have to set your laws aside and apply well, the laws of another state. There was a time in, in the 30s and 20s when this Court came pretty close to that the cases that preceded Pacific employers. That's correct, Mr. Chief Justice. And, and Popper and Bradford. That's yes. correct. And, and as I think, as my argument might suggest, I, I think the Court was correct to essentially back away from that kind of balancing test and essentially go back to the principle of saying when a state is competent to legislate, then it may apply its own laws, leaving the additional questions about what might happen at that point to questions of comedy where a state is the defendant 
And as I've suggested, Nevada courts have shown considerable comedy already here, and the case, of course, is not yet concluded. But comedy is something like a hearty handshake. I mean, it's something that you can't put any, any force to. That's, that's true in one sense, Mr. Chief Justice. I mean, when I say it's not that there's no federally enforceable state law of comedy, I, that, that's true. But at the same time, I mean, the, the Court's decisions about comedy since back in, in, in the late 18th century have emphasized that it is a serious doctrine. It's a doctrine built of respect uh, for, for other sovereigns. And in particular, and I think this, this is also goes to the, the practical problem that Justices Kennedy and Breyer are asking about, it also does have a healthy measure of self-interest in it. I mean, when, when you are talking about co-equal sovereigns, any sovereign that is exercising jurisdiction over another sovereign understands that, that the first sovereign or the second sovereign has the same power and authority over it. Is, is the question of comedy one that has a federal component so that this Court should weigh in on when it has to be Exercise? I don't believe so, state versus state, Justice O'Connor. Of course, in, in, the, in the types of cases that uh, the Board was referring to this morning, like McNary, uh, there, there are comedy elements, and there, and there is a, a jurisprudence of this Court with respect to federal and state uh, relations, which does depend on comedy, and that is, of course, federally enforceable. I don't believe that there is a concomitant enforceable document. Of some development by a state court that seems totally uh, out of whack with our constitutional structure? Well, Justice O'Connor, I I suppose I should. Are there no extremes? Is there no limitation? Well, I I mean, I I suppose I should pause in the sense that, that if there is something that is so threatening to the constitutional structure and something for which there is no historical basis, in, in terms of uh, the, the way that sovereigns deal with each other. Now, see, that's, that's where I think this case is very different, because even though there was certainly a practical tradition that states were not to be sued in other states, as I say, since Schooner Exchange, and indeed in Verlinden in, in 1980, this Court has always t- taken the position that when you're talking about relationships between sovereigns, and they're co-equal sovereigns, and the issue is immunity between them, that is a matter of comedy. All right, but let me say this case, I, I can easily see on your theory, writing the part of the opinion that says the acts in Nevada, the acts in Nevada that were arguably torts are certainly up to Nevada to pursue. But the Discovery Commissioner here, they say, went way too far in ordering discovery and ordered discovery that would have been relevant only to negligent action and only negligent action really that took place in California, though a Nevada resident was at issue. And they can't do that, says the opinion, because, because, and now this is where it seems to me there something, what, what do I fill that blank with? They can't do that. They can't go over and, in Nevada, complain about negligent action, as this discovery commissioner may have done, uh, negligent action in California aimed at a Nevada resident where it's a tax action. They can't do that because, and now 
what? You see, do you see what's bothering me? At this point, it seems to me there has to be something in the Constitution that limits that. And this case may raise that problem because of the actions of the Discovery Commission. And therefore, I think I need something to fill that blank with. Well, as, a, as I don't think, to start with, that the answer is the full faith and credit clause. All right. What is it? I, I mean, it's, I mean, odd, it's an odd and awkward vehicle. Right. Faith. What is the answer? Well, I mean, I still think that in the end, the answer is that this is a matter that one trusts to the judgment of state. So the answer is that they want to do that, they can do it. That if, in fact, there is a question about discovery, that, I mean, that I accepting the characterization, although I, I dispute it to some extent. But to the extent there's a question about discovery, that is simply part and parcel of the states being able to exercise their jurisdiction. I, I don't thought okay. discovery was interlocutory. I thought that we couldn't write in an opinion, as Justice Breyer suggested, because I didn't think that that question was currently reviewable. Well, there's certainly nothing specifically in the question presented about discovery. The, 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 again, to come back to the question presented, because we've discussed a, a wide range of issues, most of which I don't think are within the question presented. But when we come back to the question presented, the question is basically, was the Nevada, were the Nevada courts required to dismiss this action on summary judgment because of California's law of immunity? And, and the, the uh, reason for that is because, according to California, the full faith and credit clause requires Nevada to enforce California's law of immunity. Mr. Our Mr. view Friend, is — Do I understand your, your comedy argument basically is it's kind of a self-executing thing because each time a state has to answer the comedy question, it asks the question, what would I do if the tables were reversed? And as history teaches us, they generally treat the other sovereign the way they would want to be treated themselves. Well, that's, that's the rule that seems to have been developed without any overriding constitutional command ordering it. That's correct, Justice Stevens. And, in fact, they, they, they've become more specific in applying comedy, I believe, in saying we want to, to treat the other sovereign as we do treat ourselves, yeah. not just as we want to be treated, our, but we, we're treating the other sovereign the way we treat ourselves. But what if the, t- what if the case came and they didn't do it? Justice Breyer's question, how do I fill in the blank? Uh, if, if, let's say, through this intrusive discovery process, systematically uh, applied, they, they really were interfering with California's taxation, couldn't California bring an original action to enjoin this interference? I certainly think that's possible. And, and, of course, as I've said, I mean, California can try to talk to Nevada and try to reach agreement at a sovereign level about this. Or if, in fact, the, the full faith and credit clause has a specific express commitment to Congress of the right to declare the effects of other laws. So what would it, be the underlying substantive law in Justice Souter's uh, proposed original action? The... I suppose, I mean, based on what California said before, said up to now, it, it would bring it under the full faith and credit clause, that it would say that there is some requirement. Well, but we wouldn't need an original action for the full faith and credit clause. If that's so, it could apply in this case. That's correct. I mean, whether so there's. What's, what's what would an original action do us if there's no underlying substantive standard to, to apply? Um, I mean, the question would be, is there, obviously, the question that's being raised, I, I, I'm not aware of the federal substantive standard. We have, in boundary cases, though, 
adopted as a federal rule, uh, something may be different from the law of either state. That's correct. Now, you do have, there, there are certain cases, in fact, in which you can't have overlapping jurisdiction, where you can't own the same water, you can't own the same land, you can't as cheat the same property. So that's true. The Court has addressed those kinds of cases. In a situation where you're simply saying another state is applying its laws, I'd prefer that they apply our laws, and I'm troubled by the discovery that they've, they've allowed in applying their own laws, I'm not sure what the federal principle is. But it's not simply that. Is a prior action pending? That's what makes this case different. One of the things makes this different from Nevada v. Hall. Right. Why isn't there's a California proceeding ongoing? Isn't it normal for a second court to stay its operation so it won't interfere with that prior action? But, in fact, the, the Nevada court dismissed the declaratory judgment action precisely because it didn't want to, to get into the question that was at issue in the California yes, proceeding. Yes, but what about the intrusive discovery? Well, most of the, most of the other material, with, with one exception, most of the other issues involve things that have nothing to do with the merits of the California inquiry. I mean, whether confidential information has been improperly disclosed has, is not, does not require you to adjudicate the California tax liability in order to understand it. The only thing that has any bearing that is close to that, I submit, is something that is roughly akin to like a malicious prosecution suit. And tort law itself, over time, takes care of that. We have not gotten to that issue yet in the Nevada Supreme Court. But Thank you, Mr. Farr. Mr. Leatherwood, you have five minutes remaining. <clears throat> Thank you, Your Honor. In this, this particular case, um, I would like to go back to Justice Breyer's uh, thumbscrew uh, 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 example. I don't think the full faith and credit clause would actually force, Cal- force Nevada to apply, apply uh, California's thumb- thumbscrew uh, statute because that would actually be outside the tax function. What I'm saying in this particular case, what has happened is that Nevada's failure to give effect to California's immunity statute has resulted in an interference of California's tax uh, tax system. If this court does not intervene and give effect to our particular uh, proposed test, which would look into California to see whether or not we would grant immunity, then essentially that will permit any defendant, any former taxpayer to run to the border and literally sue the state of California or any other state to prevent the, uh, the enforcement of that, of that particular uh, statute. In addition, uh, I pointed out that this gives another state the power to intrude into the actual operation of another state, and that's what has happened here. There's been some some discussion as to whether or not um, uh, Nevada has legisl- legislative jurisdiction. We concede that they have legislative jurisdiction over the tort, but we what we complain about is that they won't respect our uh, legislative jurisdiction over our tax process and over our immunity laws, and that is our particular complaint. We submit the case. Thank you, Mr. Leatherwood. The case is submitted. until tomorrow morning at 10 o'clock.